All right, it is about 10.30 p.m. and the power just went out, um, which is not surprising because we're having a snowstorm. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. The recording you just heard was made on June 8th. Yes, we were having a snowstorm in June. That's Wyoming for you. So anyway, the power goes out and... Since my phone was is basically out of battery, um, I am going to try charging it on this little power charging station thingy that I got from Renogy. Renogy is a renewable energy company, and they are our sponsor for this episode. They make solar products for homes, businesses, RVs, and more. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off your order of Renogy products. Just go to Renogy.com and enter the promo code out there at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com promo code out there. If you saw the movie Free Solo last year, you know who Alex Honnold is. He's a famous American rock climber, known for climbing big walls without ropes. His free solo ascent of Al Capitan in Yosemite National Park made history. No one had ever climbed that route without a rope before. It was hailed as one of the most remarkable feats in climbing history. Our guest today is Alex Honnold's mother. Her name is Deirdre Wallenick, and her recent memoir is called The Sharp End of Life. She joins us today to talk about what it was like raising a child who would become a world-renowned rock climber. We talk about her efforts to keep Alex safe as a little kid without stifling his love for climbing. We talk about the difference between risk and consequence. And we talk about Deirdre's own journey to becoming a climber and how learning about her son's passion changed their relationship. So I'd like to start here um, going back to when Alex was a little, uh, well, when Alex was just a baby, really. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Tell me about the moment that you realized Alex was a natural climber. Um, I, I never had a moment when I realized he was a natural climber. I didn't, I didn't know that there was such a thing as climbers back then, you know? But I knew he was different the day he was born. On the, like, he was like 12 hours old, and he could, you know, you know how babies grab they, they, their, the reflex in their hands is they grab all the time. They would grab your little pinkies, and he would stand up um, when he was born. Which is wow. outrageous. I mean, nobody, no babies can do that. But he had enormously powerful thighs, and the very first thing that everybody said when they looked and in, did in, down into the little bassinet, the newborn, that you know, most often people say, "Oh, he looks just like his daddy. He looks just like his mommy. He looks how beautiful." No, none of that. All they, all everybody said, "Oh, what big hands he has." <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew he was different. He had huge hands and he had powerful thighs the day he was born. And he was different from then on. <laughs> it was a very hard kid to raise. You have this wonderful scene in your book where 
I think Alex was maybe 10 months old and you wake up one morning and you can't find him anywhere in the house. Mm-hmm. Tell us about yeah, that. That's the day he, the day I learned that he knew how to walk. <laughs> An outrageous day. And he was 10 months old and, uh, he was always up f- for the day about 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning every single day. Uh, but that morning, for some reason, I slept. I sl- slept almost 5.30, an outrageously late hour <laughs> for us. And uh, he, I you know, ran into his room. He wasn't there. He wasn't anywhere. I checked all the bars and the, the cabinets and the everything because uh, he, he was always climbing on stuff. And he wasn't anywhere. And uh, I discovered him outside in the backyard, standing on top of the six-foot-high slide, <laughs> and just looking around at the neighborhood. And um, by the time I got out there to, you know, dashed out there myself to go get him before I fell off the top of the slide, he was, you know, only 10 months old. I didn't even know he could walk, but he came down the, the ladder and uh, walked across the yard <laughs> like he'd been walking all his life. Uh, I knew he was different. <laughs> so you said he was a, a a a bit of a difficult kid to raise. Yeah. How not, so? Not a, not a bit. <laughs> well, he was a very oh, a very difficult kid very, to very raise. Very very difficult. Well, he, <laughs> if I had known then what I know now, everything would have been a lot easier on me, um, and on him probably. But what do you mean by that? Well, he was then, when he was one, he was the same person he is now. He had absolutely no limits physically. He could keep going, you know, more, longer, farther, harder than anybody, any adults. And, you know, he's like that now, and he was like that then. Um, So, like I said, he resisted sleep um, until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, even later sometimes. But every day up at 4.35 o'clock, go, go, go. (laughs) So that alone, I mean, that, um, I was always exhausted. I was always worn out uh, because I never got enough, I never got a full night's sleep for like 14 years, something like that. (laughs) If you think about that, that really takes a toll on you. Um, But... He could do. He he understood what his body could do, you know, like he does now. Um, he can do things that all the other elite climbers can't do or wouldn't even consider doing, you know, like what he did on El Cap. Um, so he knew that then, but he couldn't articulate that. He couldn't explain to me, "Oh, it's okay, mom. I'm I know what I'm doing because this, you know, that and the other thing." He he just go go go. And I just would try to keep up with him and, and, and protect him. And he didn't really need protecting, but I didn't know that. I was a new mom, you know. So uh, it made it uh, amazingly hard. <laughs> well, I'm interested, though, in this concept of protecting because, um, you know, he did a lot of dangerous things as a kid, you know, things that other parents would would yes. would worry about um and did (laughs) they did and they gave me lots of advice how to handle it (laughs) well but you seemed to manage to go through this without discouraging him um yes that was my goal yeah so i knew he was yeah why was that your goal weren't you worried that he would get hurt well i could see that he wasn't getting hurt you know he knew to he knew how to do what he was doing. Um, he was in control to a point. I, I never thought of it that way, you know, back then. But 
but unless he was, you know, lying on the ground writhing in pain and I saw blood all over, I knew everything was okay. But he, he would do these outrageous things and anybody who would come visit us, I mean, they were constantly hopping up to their feet yelling, look out, watch out, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, after living with him all the time, I, you know, I got accustomed to that. I knew what he could do. Um, I not exactly knew what he could do, but I knew that he would, he'd be okay. <laughs> you realized and he wasn't getting hurt. He was doing these so, things and it was fine. Exactly. And he was loving it. You know, he was having a great time doing these th- things that everybody else hated. <laughs> and um, I, I knew I didn't have to worry about him exactly, but, but still I was his mom. And, I, you know, uh, my goal, my, my main job, if you will, was to protect him, you know. But um, he clearly didn't need any protecting. <laughs> do you have for parents who may have a child that um, that seems you know dead set on doing things that that seem <laughs> risky or dangerous to the general uh-huh. public well yeah a lot of people have asked me that <laughs> I really don't have a, a an answer for all parents about that but you you have to really consider what that endeavor is you know my son's only passion has been rock climbing always and ever when he was a child you know like in elementary school that was always his passion but it wasn't rocks back then it was just climbing on anything climbing on the school building climbing on the monkey bar climbing on trees climbing on the the structures that surround the the machinery at the at the creek you know whatever whatever was there he would go climb on it and this did not set well with the other parents. This was not a sanctioned activity, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, they were perfectly willing to spend their weekends out there, you know, tossing balls around with their kids or taking them skiing or what have you. But but climbing on things, nah, that was not good. So they gave me all kinds of advice, you know, get them on Ritalin, take them to the doctor, they'll calm him down so you can get some rest. <sighs> it was exhausting trying to balance that. So... It, whatever the activity is, you have to decide. You have to decide as the parent whether this is actually, you know, risky or life-threatening or what have you. And but the child is the only person in the world who knows what they, what he or she gets excited about, what lights their fire, you know, what what puts passion in their life. And you don't want to kill that. You know, you don't you. For, for for a child to grow up and live a fulfilled life, they have to understand that. They have to know what drives them and, and what will make them happy and give them fulfillment. I mean, that's what we're all after, basically, you know, the pursuit of happiness, if you will. Um, so yeah, it, that's a fine line to tread. As a parent, you have to really observe. And, and if you have to decide if... If you want to kill that in your kid, you know, or if you want to allow them to to pursue it, uh, that's 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 about all the advice I can give you. I mean, it, it, you can present them with options. You can take them to piano lessons, take them to ballet lessons, you know, expose them to all kinds of things, and and hope that one of those will light their fire and 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 become 
a passion or, or, you know, a pastime or something. But you can't decide that for them. You know, you have to, whatever they decide is it, you just have to go with that. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Evil Knievel's mother didn't like what he was <laughs> up to, but um, we don't get to decide that as parents. That's, that's up to the child. Mm. I love that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's very, very hard to stand back and say, "Okay, go do it. <laughs> go, f- you know, follow your bliss." But uh, it may not be the same bliss we'd we'd have in mind for them. But uh, that's that's the important job of a parent is to know when to let go. After the break, how does a relationship change when the parent is the one learning and the child is the one babysitting? And does Deirdre think her son takes too many risks? But first... All right, so power is still out this morning. Um, Remember the snowstorm I was talking about at the beginning of the episode? Well, the power was out for a full 18 hours because of that. My phone managed to charge overnight, um, but I've been using it this morning, so um, I'm going to charge it again using this solar panel. The solar panel is from Renogy, our sponsor for this episode. Renogy is a renewable energy company, and they make solar products for homes, businesses, RVs, and more. The day the power was out, I really got to put their products to the test. And they did well. Between the portable solar charger they sent me and their Phoenix 100 mini power station, I was able to keep my computer going for quite a few hours beyond its battery life, and I was able to charge my phone multiple times. For 10% off your order, go to renogy.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to our conversation with Deirdre Wallenick. And so then what made you want to, um, you know, once once Alex became a rock climber, um, Mm -hmm. eventually you decided to go to the climbing gym with him. What what went into that decision? Well, you have to picture the situation. My son is a teenager. He's going out on expeditions and trips with these other people, going climbing. I didn't know what that meant. It was, I'm, I'm a language person. You know, I've taught languages, foreign languages, all my life. And um, I like to know what's going on around me. But when he and his friends would talk, I, I didn't understand what they were talking about. And I wanted to, and I wanted to be part of his life. And his entire life revolved around this strange thing called climbing. <laughs> so I wanted to find out what that was. And so he was home, um, I, I think, Christmas '09, I think it was. He was home with an injury. He couldn't use his one of his arms. For, he could, couldn't climb. He could belay, you know, stand on the ground and manage the ropes, but he couldn't climb on it. So I said, okay, well, take me to the climbing gym, you know, where he where he always trains, take me to the climbing gym and just kind of show me how this works, you know. So I uh, I went there with him and uh, 
as it turned out, I, uh, I, I, I went into it with great trepidation because I know, <laughs> I knew, uh, in, in quotation marks, you know, I knew that I was afraid of heights. What I didn't know back then, though, was, of course, that if you're on a rope and you know you can't fall, that kind of goes away. Mm. So I went there that day with him and uh, discovered that, yes, I can do this. And uh, instead of you know doing my half a wall and going home happy, I uh, wound up climbing like 12 walls that day with him, which is quite a lot. <laughs> I didn't know that, it's quite a lot. Yes, for the first time, that is a lot. It's quite a lot for even for now. I mean, when I go to climb 12 in a session now is, is exhausting. Um, How but, did it uh, make you feel that first day? Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it. I, I was exhilarated and, and exhausted, and, and uh, I had discovered all sorts of things, like I'm not really afraid of heights. I'm only afraid of falling. <laughs> and and then he left town for an, you know, another adventure, and I was on my own again, and uh, took me a month or two before I could get up the courage to go back. I'll never forget that, because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything didn't know what to do, couldn't even put the stupid harness on by myself. It was so hard. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it took me a while to get back, but I did. I convinced myself to go back one day, and and here I am. <laughs> the rest is history. How did your relationship with Alex change once you started climbing with him? Um, it kind of... Deepened, I guess is the word. Uh, now I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd go on about what they did on their expedition and, and what had happened, uh, and I would understand the terms. You know, I knew what he was talking about. It, it's like speaking a foreign language. I mean, if you don't sp- speak the person's language, you can't really be part of their life or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I spoke the language now, so somewhat. You know, I, I was a beginner, but uh, so it kind of made us a little closer, and then we started going out climbing together, and that really kind of cemented it. Um, so I could see firsthand exactly what he does out there. Not exactly, because he, he, what's the word, tones it down when he was, uh, when he climbs with me. Because when he climbs with me, he's babysitting, basically. <laughs> you know, well, uh, and that, I was going to ask about that, because there's this sort of interesting role reversal that happens. Right, um, right, exactly. Where, you know, as a kid, like, you're the parent, you're the one who's responsible right. for uh, taking care of him. And then that sort of shifts right. once you start climbing with him. Total Where shift, all of a sudden exactly. he's the one who's, you know, who's responsible and who's in charge and who's teaching you how exactly. to do things. Exactly. There are very few time, times in this life, in a, in a regular, ordinary parent-child life, when the parent gets to put their life in their child's hands. I mean, that's a, that's a really sobering thought. The first time we climbed together, it was like mind-blowing. Because I, I was a little toddler, you know. I was the toddler in the snowsuit <laughs> and didn't know what to do or how to move, and Alex was in charge. So, it, yeah, it's a mind-blowing reversal, really. Um, and it, it, it changes things and uh, it reinforces things, and it was just amazing. How did it, I mean, you said you describe it as mind-blowing, but how... How did how did that role reversal make you feel? Um, 
oh, a whole, that's a whole book's worth. <laughs> that's a, I'll have to write another book about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next book. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's, it's kind of strange. It's, it's, it's very strange because all of a sudden you are the child and you have to, you know, do what they say or both of you could die. This is a very sobering thing to, to, to wrap your mind around. Um, he knows how to do it. He knows what not to do. And, and he knows how to tell me, you know, to, to explain it. And um, I, there's great respect there. You know, you know I, little by little, at the, the first few years, I, I started learning just how, how responsible and how wonderful a human being he is. I mean, he's, it was amazing. And I probably wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't started climbing any of it. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> Do you feel like Alex takes unnecessary risks no, sometimes? No, 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 absolutely not. No, Alex is very, very careful and methodical. Um, so most of climbing revolves around what we can do to avoid the risks. It's still, of course, there are risks. It's rock. It's vertical. Yeah, there are. But and and it, but Alex goes uh, into that many times in many videos. Uh, the difference between risk and consequence. Well, the consequence. I mean, the consequence of any climb is is obvious. You look up, you see how high it is, and you say, "Okay, if you, if you fall beyond that point, you know, you're going to die." Period. End of story. That's the consequence. Everybody can see that. It's visible to everyone. The risk can only be measured by the climber. That takes into account the weather, the wind, the the climber's. Uh, the skin on the climber's fingers, the condition of their shoes, um, th you know, how distracted they are, whether they had a fight with their spouse the day before, whatever. All of that goes into the risk factor. So nobody can judge the risk of any climb except the climber, really. Mm. And, you know, Alex put in, what, 10 years in. I mean, that's a lot of training to do one climb, but it, uh, that one particular climb deserved it, <laughs> you know, required it. Um, so no, he does. He's not a risk taker. He's not a in it for the adrenaline and all that. You know, like some of the magazines that, that sells, that sells copy. But that's that's not a, at all what's going on. He's very very thoughtful, and very methodical. Mm. It is still the case though, where you know things go wrong sometimes yes, climbing, yes, and and absolutely. as you said, the consequences. Right, are obvious. <laughs> are 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 life threatening, obvious. right? So you know how, a, a, as his mother, mm -hmm. how do you, what what coping mechanisms do you have? You know, when he's out there, really pushing the envelope, trying something that that has very serious consequences. How do you manage the anxiety? Uh, practice. <laughs> 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 the biggest key there is practice. Long years of practice, and. Uh, I just had to come to terms. I, I mean, I knew from the beginning that each time that he left the house, each time I gave him a hug and sent him out the door, I knew it might be the last time I'd see him. I mean, I know what rock climbing is. You know, I know that bad things happen. Um, 
I mean, bad things happen if you're going to work in the morning, you know, and you step out in the street, the car hits you, that's it. You know, the newspaper's full of that. But I knew that this was a little different, and so I, little by little, learned to just push that to the back of my mind. It's a kind of a, it's a, it's a coping mechanism that my father used to talk about. Um, like when he was, my father was in World War II. So, so he was terrified when he was leaving. He was from New York City and never been out of New York City really. And, and they were sending them to Africa of all places. And, and he knew people who, who were not coming home, you know. And so he said he was terrified. And, but, but this is the important part for, for our story is you can't keep that up. You can't maintain that kind of fear, um, that kind of worry, that kind of concern, fear, I guess this is the best word for it. And um, so I a little, I had to keep, you know, living. And I, like I said, I had all these jobs and things going on and people dying and, and, and estate work I was taking care of and, and, and all kinds of stuff going on in my life. So I had to just push it to the background. And uh, I guess that's what saved me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but... Uh, I kept it in the background and, um, unless I needed it. And uh, thank goodness so far I haven't needed it. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be one of my questions, though. I mean, many great climbers ultimately end up dying climbing. Yes. And, you know, and it can be from any number of things. Um, right. You know, they push it one step too far. They make a mistake right. or just some, like, there's some bit of bad luck that happens, right? It's it's not. Yeah, you never know. You never know what's going to happen out there. And like, well, like in life, I mean, you, you know, trucks going to go out of control, come into your lane and kill you. You don't know that. Um, you can't plan for those things. You can only, like I said, mitigate the risks that you are able to mitigate. Mm. So, but but I guess going going back to that, you know, if if something like that were to happen to Alex, do you think that would change your perspective on what he's chosen to do with his life? Not really. Uh, of course, I you know would grieve. Of course, <laughs> I was his mother, but no. Alex has lived. He's in his thirties now. He has lived countless lifetimes of adventure, and he has lived exactly the life he wanted, and. You know, how many of us can actually say that? We may live to 80, but we haven't lived in a fraction of the the excitement, the adventure, the, the fulfillment that he has. So no, I, I would not regret it. Well, Deirdre, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Deirdre Wellenick. Her memoir is called The Sharp End of Life. If you'd like to check it out, we have a link to it on our website, outtherepodcast.com, and you can also find it at sharpendoflife.com. 
This interview was edited and mixed by Ben Montoya, and special thanks to Jody Scott Elliott for production assistance. Last week, I talked about my commitment to use Out There's platform to amplify BIPOC voices. And I wanted to give you a quick update on those efforts. As a team, we are actively working to reach out to members of the outdoor community whose perspectives are too often sidelined. And we're inviting them to share their stories on the show. We have several pieces in the pipeline that I think are going to be really powerful. Secondly, I cannot overemphasize the importance of white people educating ourselves. We can't be true allies unless we recognize our own privileges and prejudices, and unless we work to understand the huge societal forces that contribute to systemic racism. I've been working my way through my anti-racist reading list, and I've been listening to some podcasts that are teaching me a lot. In case you're interested, one podcast that I'd particularly recommend is called 1619. It's put out by the New York Times, and it's an audio series on how slavery has transformed America. It's really well done. I'm learning lots from it, and each episode is captivating. To see other podcasts and books on my list, as well as additional resources, head over to outtherepodcast.com and check out our blog. A big thank you to all of our patrons, including Tara Jocelyn, Felipe Casas-Franco, Quinn Abrams-Vaughn, Mike Lutters, and Deb and Vince Garcia. Patrons are listeners who support Out There with monthly financial contributions. To become a patron, head to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast. We're also on Venmo at outthere-podcast if you'd rather make a one-time contribution. This episode is sponsored by Renergy, a renewable energy company that makes solar products for your home, business, RV, and more. Renergy is on a mission to provide tailor-made solutions that let you enjoy an active, outdoorsy lifestyle without having to worry about air pollution, noise pollution, or maintenance. Their products range from portable solar panels that are only about as big as a cell phone to installations that can power your home or RV. For 10% off your order, go to renogy.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. Renogy. Big or small, solar for all. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Our production interns are Ben Montoya, Natalia Letterman, and Aja Simpson. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you next week. <laughs>